Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore our relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. In this episode, we're going to talk with Matthias Castle about the medieval manual of angel magic based on acquiring knowledge and wisdom, the Ars Notoria, and it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Before we get to that, I just want to make two announcements. The first is that we are having the Plant Cunning Conference at our home, our small farm in central New York, on the weekend of July 26th, 7th, 8th. We don't have all the speakers public yet, but Pat Montgomery will be keynoting, and it's going to be a lot of fun, so just save the date for that. The tickets aren't available quite yet. Also, I don't usually ask for donations. I don't plug the Patreon very often. We don't really do much for the Patreon anyway. But I am right now just had the opportunity to get into a program of advanced geotish astrology with my astrology teacher. And I didn't think I was going to be able to. And so I need to come up with a little bit of moolah real quick. So if you want to donate to the podcast, now's a good time. You can do that with my PayPal, isaac.alexander.hill at gmail.com. And you can also book a reading with me. So I have a lot of readings booked, which is great, but I can definitely schedule some, especially if you're willing to pay in advance, and then schedule like a month or two out. That would be awesome. I'd also be willing to accept a like retainer. I could be like a personal astrologer on retainer for a bigger fee for like a year or two, something like that. It's possible. But anyway, I'm excited about this opportunity. So now if you have thought about donating in the past, now is a good time to do that. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you. Okay. So today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we have Matthias Castle, a scholar and translator of the Ars Notoria, which is a treatise of angelic magic from the Middle Ages in northern Italy is the was where it was originally started but there's some traces even further back but Matthias how are you today how are you doing I'm I'm well thank you for having me yeah. very excited to talk with you yeah thank you so much for being here so yeah. what got you onto this path and what got you into medieval magic in general Oh, well, that's a great question. I will say that I was raised as a Protestant Christian and had questioned my faith as a teen and got interested in other world religions and other paths. And that led me down into Kabbalism and the Order of the Golden Dawn and the esoteric tradition. And so that kind of just piqued my interest and I ended up getting my bachelor's of arts in religious studies and philosophy at Emory Henry College, a small private liberal arts college. And I've just been interested in religion and philosophy ever since. So. Very cool. And so what is the Ars Notoria and why, why did you want to translate it? The Ars Notoria is a 13th century medieval treatise on angelic magic. 
and it promises its practitioner the enhancement of mental faculties and spiritual faculties, as well as acquiring scholastic knowledge very quickly. And I became interested in it through reading the 1657 English translation by Robert Turner. And that translation has a, a number of imperfections. It's actually a composite of two texts, a uh, composite of the Ars Notoria and a derivative text called the Ars Brevis or the Short Art. And it, like I said, it has a number of imperfections. And so I decided to track down the original 13th century work. And I found that through the critical uh, Latin edition by Julian Veronez, the French scholar and set out to translate the work and provide a commentary. Awesome. Yeah. So that's the, I guess the, the last time that it, that this was translated was that Turner translation. Is that correct? Yes. So, and, and it's, it's has imperfections. And one of the other things is that, that, that translation doesn't have some of the diagrams and figures. Is, is that also true? Yes. It's uh, missing all the notary art figures. It only has one figure in it, and it's claimed to be the figure of memory. And that figure belongs to the Ars Brevis, or the short art, which mm -hmm. is, a, like I said, it's a 14th century derivative text of the Ars Notoria. And that kind of seems pretty important because, from my understanding, the notary arts, like the note, the note, or mm -hmm. the, the figures themselves are right. a pretty important part of the actual practice of it. Absolutely. Yes. So the figures are what was, how do you say, they are important in terms of acquiring the, the special knowledge that you're seeking. So like the medieval student would be interested in learning the seven little arts and those arts are assigned to the different figures. So you have th like three figures for grammar Three, two figures for logic, four figures for rhetoric, and so on. And so these figures were, I believe, related to the art of memory. You would use this creative visualization process using these figures while you were studying your medieval textbooks. Yeah, so what is the relationship between the art of memory and the Ars Notoria? Are, are they the same thing or is the Ars Notoria a subset of the art of memory? Or are they different things that interact interact? Well, there I would say there are different things that interact because the art of memory is an ancient art that has, you know, its its practice is shrouded in history and mystery. But we have a record of it being, of an ancient Greek tradition. And that tradition was very important in a very oral oral tradition culture where things are passed from uh, mouth to ear. And so it's very important that you able to memorize what your teacher said. And this is very different from our world today because we're very, our, our world is very, we have a written tradition, right? Everything's written down. We don't have to memorize things as much as we did in the past. So this ancient art of memory was incorporated into the magical practice that is the notary art. That's really interesting. And I know that there's a certain, like way back in the day, certain priests didn't want to 
like the druids for instance didn't write anything down and so that now we don't right. know anything about them. <laughs> but there are right. other priests in in like egypt wasn't that the case that it's like they they thought that by writing stuff down you would it would make people's memories weaker <laughs> but oh. also like even in even in like so my 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 geotish teacher's teacher by the time he was eight he had memorized you know an 800 page book on astrology you know and so like, yeah. that's like that's what they do there you know if you're if, mm -hmm. still to this day yeah you know, that's amazing learning things by memory but in 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 the the ars notoria is is like the art of memory for, for the written word in a way right because they're learning from are they are, are they learning from books the 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 trivium and the quadrivium it, it it suggests so in the in the text yeah in the glosses it's kind of, it's suggesting you know you look at your your textbook and then you look at your figure that you're interested in like you know your your one two three figures for grammar and you would just kind of go back and forth and so you, you when you would inspect as quote and inspect these figures is my interpretation that you're visualizing the figure in your mind and you're you're doing like this mental walkthrough of this imaginary scenery and placing these images along certain paths and those each and each of those images represent the knowledge the new knowledge that you're you've just studied you know you're you're converting it from information into a figure and so when you would walk this path and you would do it repetitiously because the the text says you know inspect the figure 12 times you know so you're you're going through it again and again and again so it, you lock that information in your mind and so that is a very mundane practice right that's the art of memory itself the magical aspect of it is where you have this this dream of an angel who is guiding you and perhaps providing you with these mental and spiritual faculties that will boost your memory, boost your your memory retention of this information. So it has a, a, a sacred aspect and it has a, a mundane aspect to it. And you're you're taking the the advantage of of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And that's there's like so many directions I want to go and ask questions about. But one of them is is the is the the angels and the dream incubation. And in the the B, the, the B manuscript, is that like the main is that like the because this isn't also just isn't just one book, it's kind of a tr whole tradition of books. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, if we look at what Julian Verdinez did, because my work is based off of his critical edition, he he surveyed over 50 manuscripts, and he classified them into version A, uh, version A2, and a version B. And the two, and you, the two main versions are version A and version B. Version A is the short version, the the oldest one, which is from the 13th century, possibly the late 12th century. And then the version B is from the 14th and 15th century. If we're talking about the, the textual tradition. And the version B is huge uh, because it has all these glosses and commentaries on that version A text. So version B includes A and the commentary. 
Right. And so then in the version B, there's like explicit dream incubation to even begin the work, right? You have to like get visited by an angel in a dream before you can even start the full practice. Is that correct? You have to receive divine approval. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 really cool to me that like, you know, you you have to go through that even to to start, and there's kind of a yeah divine yeah. approval. <laughs> so how do you start that? How do you make contact with an angel for divine for divine approval? Yeah, so it recommends uh, a period of time. It's kind of divided up, but it's roughly about a couple of weeks. And it seems the text seems to suggest that you can kind of modify that. But uh, what you're doing is you're doing your Christian confession, your penitence, your fasting, your almsgiving, you're purifying yourself with prayers, you know, you're being clean. And these these are all things that are very common in the Solomonic tradition. If we speak of it in that terms, you know, we see that in the Key of Solomon, the Lamegaton, and so forth. So once you have purified your your soul and your body, you then, you know, hope for the best that you get that dream. And mm-hmm. once you do, then you can then proceed with the ritual proper. And, and the ritual proper varies between the version A and version B. In version A, it's about two months or a two-month template. And then a version B is a four-month template. So it it depends in, in that in terms of the structure. Yeah, and I you can see that from a couple different perspectives too, whether like whatever your worldview is, like if the if it's divine approval or if like you have more of a materialist bent and it's your subconscious that is saying, yes, you're actually, you're ready to do this, this work with it, with that, with that angel. But it, it is seem like it's not a simple beginner process. It seems Mm -hmm. though it was, it was often used by uh, schoolboys. Is that, that true? It's like you're young scholars. I was wondering about that. Like who is the audience that is using this works like to gain knowledge? Like, yeah, so in the medieval education system, it was primarily young boys and usually the elite social class that was getting the university degrees. Those are the ones that were being educated. And so that was probably the target for the, the Ars Notoria. Makes sense. So there's another question about that too. So the, the, the point of this, of the work, is to learn like the trivium and the quadrivium the the liberal arts and then also you can learn necromancy and astrology and some other things too right. but very quickly so the point is to be able to learn this very quickly right is do do you know if so does it work just for learning the trivium and the quadrivium in latin or like would this would this do you think this work would be helpful for somebody who's in college right now studying other things, you know, biology or right. organic, you know. Right, right. The the modern sciences. That's an excellent yeah. question. I personally would like to believe that the angels are well aware of those things and that they could very well teach you those things. You know, the we're looking here at a at a manuscript in a moment in time, you know, right. in the medieval period. 
you know, now you're thinking about the greater cosmos and the divine beings and so forth. And, you know, my personal belief is that those beings are timeless and eternal. And so I think they are well aware of things that we do not know, but I think that, I think that's quite possible. They could teach microbiology or organic chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I can see them being a good study buddy to this day. <laughs> yeah. A angel study buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so the, the, these sciences, do you have, when you're doing this work, are you, do you do this process as like four months, two month or four month process for each hmm. study, each science that you're studying each, each one of the. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I understand it. Yeah. So you, yeah. Yeah. So then if you do the, the version A two months, then, you know, two times seven for your seven level arts, that's 14 months. So really, you know, you think about you know, PhD, you know, that's seven years, right? Typically for today. So to be able to learn your full education back then a year and year and two months, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Good point. And so you go through it step by step too, like subject by subject, and you start with the each the, the trivium and, and then go to the quadrivium and then go to necromancy and astrology and so on. <laughs> that is the that's kind of the the assumption that is present in the text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you can't just skip right to astrology is <laughs> Isaac's question. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I don't know. So there's this in, in my book that I present a, a diagram of how the, the notary art looks at the, the hierarchy of knowledge. And the people in the medieval time were really interested in creating these typologies of how to categorize and classify knowledge. And the Ars Notorious seems to follow that tradition. It seems to follow the Aristotelian model of, or I should say the medieval Aristotelian model of classifying knowledge and then it has its own kind of quirks right with the these what they call acceptives or these exceptions which are the necromancy and the astrology and it talks about well the, it references these so-called general sciences and these general sciences are also thought of being the middle sciences that lie between the natural sciences and the mathematical sciences and so I suppose, perhaps, <laughs> I'm, I get, I'm guessing here, but the, a notary art practitioner from the medieval period, if they were to come into us, sit with us down today, they might say, well, you should probably learn your language arts first, but once you get to your sciences, you could probably study that astro astrology that you're interested in because it falls under these general sciences or these acceptives or these forbidden arts. I see. Yeah. I'm curious about the angel water. Can you tell us about what angel water is? Oh, are you thinking about the 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 tea that you drink? Yeah, so yeah. The, there's a, a there's a saffron and rose water tea that mm -hmm. is exclusive to the version B manuscript, the 4-month regimen. And it talks about how you would take 
saffron and rose water and you you make it as a tea hmm. and then also you would take these four laurel leaves and you would create a ink out of the saffron that you would heat up the the saffron and and you would take a quill and dip it in your saffron ink and and write the angel name on the laurel leaf and then you would take that laurel leaf and dip it into your tea and then you would rub off any of the saffron into the tea and you would do that four times for each of the four angels that govern the notary art and so by doing that you are trying to uh, imbue yourself with the these qualities or these this materia that attracts the angel to you and then you mm -hmm. would begin to conduct your morning prayers sweet so it's a way of saying like okay angel i'm here i'm honoring you you four angels and welcoming them in to the space and yeah imbuing them that's kind exactly. of like an offering i said well i don't know if it's an offering because you're drinking it um but i would say you're it's a way of attracting yeah attracting okay. it so it's like you know it's like the way we would go to like an interview you would want you would want to dress professionally mm -hmm. and when you go to that interview you know they say oh he's well dressed Mm -hmm. uh i like this guy already you know he's he's mm -hmm. he's serious about the job and so i think that drinking the tea is is part of that this kind of protocol of drawing the angels to you and so that would be the spiritual side of it now the the scientific or the materials side is that we know that saffron and rose water has properties to boost your mood and your memory mm awesome and the the laurel leaves are well i mean you're, you're just dipping them in but i believe they also aid with digestion which would certainly be helpful when you're doing your fasting during the ritual process and digesting all the new knowledge too sure yeah and another thing that's kind of interesting too when i was thinking about all this was i was thinking about the mythology behind this so like the laurel leaves are associated with the Greek god Apollo and and uh, Daphne. And when I was reading about that, it talked about how, well, we know Apollo is the god of light and, uh, and of the sun. And so he's kind of like this god of illumination and, and poetry and inspiration. And then also the laurel leaves are thought to cast away demons. And so... You're you're ban you're you're you know, banishing the yeah. darkness because mm -hmm. evil spirits are often drawn to spiritual workings, and so there's that, that that banishment or that casting away while you're trying to draw in the light or the inspiration, and then also the the notary art suggests that you do certain studies at certain times. And a lot of these are by astrological signs. And these are often times during the summer. So when the sun is at its peak, you know, the summer solstice and so forth. So, and I kind of get a sense that it's a fiery or fiery nature, you know, with the saffron and the rose and then these astrological, astrological timings. Yeah. 
Very cool. Can you say a little bit more about the astrological timings and how this the, the process ties into it with that? And is that just the, the manuscript B part? Oh, that's found in version A and version B. Okay. So what can I say? So there are a couple of points. There's basically one paragraph. Uh, I believe it's at the very end of version A, section 147, talks about the different times or, you know, do do your study of grammar at, on this astrological sign and logic this at this sign and so forth. But the Ars Notoria ritual process, <clears throat> excuse me, also talks about following certain astronomical astronomical times according to the times of the moon. Mm -hmm. So you would do certain prayers uh, when the moon is full or new and so forth and everything in between so that's definitely an important component to that and yeah so <laughs> that's kind of essential to the to the working because it's in yes. both the, in the earliest as well as the the, the version b so yeah yes. so that, that's pretty important and it also ties it in so this arsenatoria tradition is it's part of the Solomonic tradition, as well as being part of the uh, the astrological magic tradition in regards to right. uh, which I I think is really interesting. That, well, so going on the Solomon side, we just talked with Sarah Mastros a few weeks ago about the Solomonic Pentacles, and she really dives into Solomon, the magician king, in her book, and talks a lot about the Solomon at you know himself, which a lot of people who talk about the Solomonic tradition don't really talk about, you know, because, but Solomon is a really fascinating character, but that, that links it in with that whole tradition. And oftentimes these days, since the Grimoire revival, people think about Solomonic magic. They think about like demon summoning mostly, but it, there's like so much more and so many other things that don't have even have anything to do with that. And, and ours notorious is one of those things. It's, a, it's an angel magic, um, ceremonial magic and, focused on wisdom and knowledge right right <laughs> so what what is the tie-in with with solomon and and why is it part of the solomonic tradition good question it really starts with the biblical narrative that we find in chronicles and kings in which king solomon made a offering to god on the mountain and that night he had a dream of god and God asked them, what would you like? And King Solomon asked for wisdom and understanding to govern his people. And so God granted that to him. And so what the Ars Notoria does is it expands upon that biblical narrative and explains, you know, well, how did Solomon get that, that wisdom and knowledge? Well, I'll tell you, it's because this angel came down from heaven and gave him the notary art and these books and he then compiled his own writings from, from those holy books, and that was then passed on to Apollonius of Tyana, his spiritual successor in the first century. Apollonius is a Greek philosopher, and he decoded and translated Solomon's work, and that became his golden flowers. That's his the title of his work, and that became the, the foundational text to the Ars Notoria. And then that was then added onto, I believe, 
by other Christian scribes in northern Italy. So would you say that the Ars Notoria, the roots of it are, are pagan or, I mean, we really, they, it's like pre-Judaism. <laughs> I mean, what are the real, uh, from your perspective, what are the historical roots of the Ars Notoria? Well, that's a good question. I think there's some conjecture with that. But what we know for sure is that the, the oldest manuscripts, <clears throat> excuse me, The oldest, <clears throat> the oldest manuscripts are from northern Italy from the 13th century. Now, if we're looking at the textual tradition of where did it come from, well, some of these sources of things that you would want to learn, like, like the astrology that you mentioned, or pyromancy, or palmistry, the reading of the palms, or geomancy, these other things seem to have an Arabic tradition. Mm -hmm. And this was, this was an important time when things were being translated by the Arabs. A lot of Greek texts were being translated by the Arabs in the 12th century. And those were then transmitted into the Latin West at this time. So it seems as though an early version of the Ars Notoria like a proto-source, as we would say, may have referenced, you know, referenced these these particular texts from Byzantium. And so I suspect that there may be a Greek a Byzantine or Hermetic origin to the golden flowers of Apollonius Satyana. And we do have a little bit of a hint of a quotation. It, from the 12th century in, in the book of wisdom that's attributed to Apollonius of Tyana, where he mentions four books that he wrote. And one of them was quote of a, of scholasticism. And that seems to kind of suggest that that might reference the golden flowers, mm -hmm. which would suggest that it, there was originally a Greek text behind uh, the Latin arsenatory that we have today, but we don't have enough evidence to support that. Hmm. But there are hints, and I and I point that out in the book. Yeah, and so Apollonius. Well, first, for our listeners who might not know, I think everyone knows who Solomon is. <laughs> yeah, <should've. laughs> but who who is Apollonius of of Tyana? Yeah, he was a first century Greek philosopher who he was had an excellent memory, and he also in the medieval period, a lot of astrological magic texts were attributed to him by the Arabs, but he was, Apollonius, the historical figure was uh, oftentimes, well, he's contemporary with Jesus Christ, and so uh, a lot of scholars today make parallels between their miracles and their, their personalities, but Apollonius was a neo-Pythagorean believed in Pythagoras's philosophy and, and numbers, and he had traveled to India. And well, he has the one of the I believe it's the largest biography from the ancient period that was recorded by Philostratus. 
And so, oh, that's interesting. But anyway, I'm 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 starting to ramble here. <laughs> that's all right. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's. So he 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 was also uh, became the his, his name was put on a lot of esoteric works. Yes, that, like yeah, um, and that's from the medieval period. And then I I provide that in the appendix in the in the back of the book. Yeah, but a lot of it seems like pretty... to be of a Arabic. Arabic origin. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, if we talk about like the the common Hermetic axiom as above, so below, that actually comes from a text attributed to Apollonius. Cool. Yeah, and from what I know about him, he's he was a pretty interesting guy. He was like silent for five years, right? His, and yeah, did all those miracles. So important link in this chain, even if 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 it's mythically, you're this this tradition is drawing on Solomon, drawing on Apollonius, and who who else is is? I'm sorry. Anybody? Are there any other? Are there any other figures who are involved in in this tradition, mythical? Oh yeah, sure. Well, I believe there's a little diagram in the book that shows this connection between King Solomon. And Hermes Trismegistus, which is a kind of like this mythical historical figure of wisdom associated with God, Egyptian god of, of Toth. And, and so you have King Solomon, Hermes, and then Apollonius himself had discovered this golden statue of Hermes, according to this this one account in this underground temple or whatever. And there's these, this cache of books and he, and he's like, finds these books and he becomes knowledgeable in alchemy and magic and so forth. And so <clears throat> that story is really telling us that, well, Apollonius is the heir to Hermes mm. and therefore he is continuing this hermetic tradition or these esoteric writings and passing them on to the present day. Another one that was in the in that link is the Roman poet Virgil. And yeah. Virgil, which is is kind of like weird, like because he's another like ancient poet, but yet now he's like these medieval writers are talking about with this, you know, this medieval lens that he had done all these amazing miracles in Italy and had practiced the notary art himself. And it was just like, yeah, there's this, there's this link in this chain of this hermetic tradition. And it, it's just kind of like this undertone that you find in the notary art. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. It's, it's, it's tantalizing because it's like, whoa, what is that all about? You know, and I write, I share some stories in the book about all these things. And yeah. I hope the readers will be happy about some of those stories. But yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Uh, and there's these other, other writings too, like that same story about Apollonius finding the, the golden uh, statue of Hermes. It's kind of, that story is played out in another fashion where a translator of texts had found a treatise on palmistry or what we call chiromancy and had just like, oh, I've discovered this text and now I'm making it publicly known, this, this secret wisdom. So, 
And there's this other thing about Virgil too, where there's also the 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 notary <laughs> the notary art. <laughs> there's so there's the there's the the notary art of the notes, right? Also the of being like a like a public notary. That way, right. that's how we see it now. But the scribe. So there's the scribe as well as the magician. And well, and then scholar. But so what's what's that aspect? And, and I I think a lot of people confuse notary with with an O and notary with an A. So what yeah. what is the difference? And what is this? What is the connection? Yeah. So the literature uses notary art N O T O R Y as defining the Ars Notoria or the the magical treatise. And then also using that word for the magical practice. And then you have notary, like the, the public notary that you're talking about, the scribe, uh, N-O-T-A-R-Y. And so what is the relationship? Well, you're looking at, it's it's quite involved, but <laughs> the, 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 the notary uh, uh, public or the, the scribe will say, he practiced the shorthand of writing. And so you use a symbol, you know, and it's a shorthand for something that's longer, right? And so that is comparable to the exegistical method called notary Khan, which is in the Jewish tradition. And that is the this exegetical method would be interpreting biblical scripture with an esoteric perspective. Okay. And that is the manner in which King Solomon composed his book of flowers of heavenly teaching that would then be transmitted down into the Ars Notoria, the magical art itself. And so that's what Apollonius was doing. He was decoding the this this notary con this logistical method of interpreting scripture and providing us with a latin translation of these prayers and so the the notary con method that was used by king solomon supposedly would be really like if it'd be like say you have one sentence and the the notary con language that that solomon used when he interwoven the Hebrew, Chaldean, and Greek languages in his, in his book. And Apollonius, if you were to translate that single sentence, he said it would be so long, it could be pages and pages long. And so he's like, you know what, I'm not going to do all that. Or, you know, it's so confusing, I'm not going to translate all that. So he would just provide the beginning of the prayer of Solomon's, Solomon's prayer and provide it to us in Latin. Did, did you follow me on any of that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a connection. There is yeah. a connection. Yeah, so you're looking at a, a Jewish method of interpretation and the, the public notary, and they both are doing a shorthand method. Right, and but one is more about just more, more the profane and one is more sacred in a certain way. Right. Right. In the same, yeah. yeah. It, well, in, in the same way that with the, with Arsatoria, you're, there's like the, 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 
profane or learning as well as the the sacred magic uh right yeah right i'm also interested in getting into the derivative texts you know so like there's there's the ars notoria a and b a and a2 and a and, and b but there's also this whole tradition of texts that come from from those from those texts and so what like what uh, how how weird does it get and how 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 long does this <laughs> this tradition go and like what where, where in what places does it go yeah so it goes basically from the 13th century to the 15th century i would say in terms of the the most original derivative texts um but then we have the, the derivative the, derivative texts yeah then we have the derivative of the derivative and that would be in the 16th and 17th century. And that at the very end, you have the, that would be the Robert Turner translation of a Latin text. But if we start in the 13th century, that is your opus orum, opus orum, which is the work of works. And that is a treatise that was often found with the version A2 material. And th- that's still a, a little bit of an understudied area of the, the notary art studies, but it has a three month ritual regimen of 32 prayers. And it draws upon the notary art in the way that it says that there are these Latin prologues or these texts, the Latin prologues that kind of like what Apollonius was doing with translating the prayers from King Solomon. So it's kind of suggesting that it's, it's in that tradition and it's, it still does the same aims of saying, oh, well, you will learn these subject matters very quickly in this three month period. There are no figures of the work of works. However, in the manuscript tradition, they are, the text is accompanied by notary art figures that were in transition from A to B. So they're not, they're just the notary art figures. They're not meant to be used with the work of works. That makes, that makes sense. So we've got the opus, the, the work of works, and then there's, wait, art, ars brevis. Right. And then Ars Notoria Abbreviata. Abra that uh-huh. one seems to me too. Which, if if somewhere someone were to come up to you to you know you know, and all of these are translated in here too, which is I think is amazing. You've got all of these derivative texts in here. I mean, it's a it's right there. It's a honker of a book. Yeah, uh, it's all so, right but there. But you've got it all in there, which is amazing. Yeah. But someone were to come up to you and ask. You know, I'm a modern, I'm a modern magician in, in uh-huh. training. I want to, want to learn, I want to do this. Which one of these would you suggest to do? The A, the B, the Opus, the Brevis, the, oh. there's um, also like well, Pauline art. Yeah. Right. I, w- I guess I would ask them, what is it that they would want to learn? Because even though there is some crossover and same, of same subject matter, some texts, have some variation and then i would probably also ask them well how quickly is it that you want to learn something because 
one of them, uh, I believe, only goes for one month. So you got a, a ritual for one month, you got one for three months, two months, four months. So, yeah, you have options. And, and I think that's what was, that was kind of what was the medieval scribes were interested in. It's like, well, how can we make this more accessible? How can we make it less rigid? You know, no, no time constraints or fewer time constraints, fewer prayers and so on. And so this tradition just got rewritten and rewritten over the centuries. Yeah, there's always that balance between like watering something down and making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. And That's like, true. So do, do you think any of these are at a really good balance point? Like, should you do the full B if you can? Or can you get this like 80% for 20% with the, the, yeah, with one of the other ones? Right. That's a good question. I, I'm not a practitioner. I'm just the, just a scholar. So that would be something for experimentation. I would probably, if I were to pursue it, I would probably start with version A. Start with the the oldest material because by the time you see the the Pauline art, which is from the 15th century, its understanding of the notary art seems to be very watered down, and it seems to have lost whatever true secrets there were to the Ars Notoria. Mm, that's good to know. So the the version A two though it, it seems to not have some of the context that the version B does. And can you still do the version A like without, because without some of the other stuff that the, the, the version B has? Yeah, so with version A, well, let's, let's back up a, a bit here. So when Apollonius wrote his Golden Flowers, that text actually is incomplete. It's fragmented. Uh-huh. Right. And so the Christian writers had to supplement and fill in the gaps. And so you have what I hypothesize this, this, this Christian letter that was written to his unknown companion answering questions about the notary art. And then he also supplements it with the, the new art, the Ars Nova. And they're trying to compensate for that, the, that fragmented text. And so when you say, well, if I want to do the version A, what I had to do was like assess that the, I had to assess that there were these, these, these gaps. And so I made a comparison between version A and version B and I helped fill in the gaps. So I helped to reconstruct the version A. So it's a, it, to establish that I believe it is a two-month ritual regimen. Awesome. So you're kind of bringing back this Ars Notoria tradition. How did it fall out of common use or common practice? What was kind of like the end before this maybe revival happening now? Yeah, so it, it fell out of practice because it was based off of the medieval education system. And that got changed by the scientific revolution with, you know, Isaac Newton and so forth. And so the, the, it just changed everything. And so it just went out of disuse, but not only that, but the church had been condemning it from the very beginning, beginning with Thomas of Aquinas. 
a famous theologian. And so with it being condemned by the church, it was basically pushed into what is now the, the Western esoteric tradition. And, and then science, like I said, the scientific revolution changed the education system. And so you, I think what you ask, you know, can you learn, you know, organic chemistry from the Ars Notoria, you know, I like to believe you could, but, you know, like I said, we're, we're capturing this, this medieval manuscript in a moment of time. And so it's bound by those old concepts and some which are outdated. Yeah. So I wonder, wonder what, what a Ars Notoria for the 21st century what, will look like because I, you know, yeah. translating all of these is making it all of these texts and with your commentary, it's making it available to a number of people who I'm sure will be experimenting with it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll leave that up to the practitioners. Yeah. So this has been a really wonderful talk. I got a lot of my questions answered. This is a beautiful book. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Really wonderful job. Yeah. Inner Traditions did a great job. Yeah. So how can people uh, get the book, uh, find out more about you? You have a website. You've been blogging on there and and offering offering stuff for free, you know, wisdom and, and, and knowledge about, about this tradition. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. how can people find you? Well, my website is www.matthiascastle.com. The book is available wherever books are sold. And I keep an ongoing blog about all things magic and Argentoria related. And yeah, I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, or X. So yeah, you can find to... me there. Yeah. <laughs> It's well, been a real pleasure speaking with both of you. Yeah, it's yeah. been really great. Thank you so much, Matthias.